So it's the personal relationship with the Lord that we're looking at. Uh, again, today we're looking at wisdom as it applies to alcohol and drugs. And so Proverbs, for that matter, Scripture as a whole, has much to say about drinking and alcohol. Uh, I think uh, I, I've read a, a few different lists, but there's well over 200 verses in the Scripture that deal with uh, uh, drinking and, and wine and strong drink. And so, uh, obviously, it's something that Scripture is uh, addressing. And, uh, again, looking at wine, primarily wine made from grapes, from vineyards is, uh, is the idea. Strong drink is an alcohol from grain and other fruits as well. And so, uh, just uh, those would be some definitions that might show up here. Uh, in Proverbs and Scripture, uh, it seems like there's two, two themes concerning wine. One we find uh, in Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 6. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Um, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Now, wisdom, by the way, is our ally, the person that we come alongside, that we seek after. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And again, the way of insight is the way of, of, of knowledge and following after the Lord. So here is a picture of, of, of wine being presented as something that wisdom is, is presenting to us as actually a blessing. And so we see one side of, of Scripture where it says wine, vineyards uh, are, are a blessing to, to man. God uses them frequently, and I'll show you a couple of other verses in that. But the other side of it is is that uh, is a, a scripture that sometimes is more familiar to us because of, of the way we look at things. Chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Okay, so we have a definite contrast. One, it shows a warning about wine, and the other one says wine is a blessing. And I'm going to suggest to you as we go through this that, that you know, the tendency sometimes is to say, well, if, if there's a warning here, it's then the safest thing to do is to just stay away from it completely. But if we do that, we're going to find a lot of other blessings in the Scripture that God gives us warning about. And, and everything that there's conflict, everything that we abuse, should we stay away from it? Well, if that were the case, we'd be staying away from marriage. We'd be staying away from uh, work. We'd be staying away from all sorts of things. And so what we need to look at is what Scripture actually says, both as a blessing and as a warning of how we are to come wisely to deal with this subject. Um. I'll take a look at maybe the, the positive first. In Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses uh, oh, 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who loves as a father the son in whom he delights. God shows here uh, barns filled and vats to bursting, overflowing, okay, as a blessing, okay. Uh, in Amos, uh, in chapter uh, 9, the last chapter of Amos, verses 13 through 15, uh, the last few verses, God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. By the way, just by itself, that's an interesting thing. What it's basically saying there that, that the plowman will overtake the reaper, meaning that the harvest is going to be developing so fast and so big that the harvesters don't have time to get it in before it's time to sow again. And, and the blessing is going to be so great. And the same thing with the idea of the one who's treading the grapes uh, is going to be, a, a, you know, uh, he's going to be treading the grapes uh, while the other is sowing the seed. It's going to be so much, it's going to be bountiful. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on the land, on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And then just, uh, uh, there's so many, but I'm just going to look at one other one this morning in, in Psalms, uh, Psalm 104. Verses 14 through 15. This is David as, you know, as he's writing to the, uh, a, a praise to the Lord. How awesome and great God is and all the things that he does. And so he's saying, you referring to God. He says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine. And bread to strengthen man's hearts. God provides. And in the midst of the things He provides, He provides wine. And again, this is associated with the idea of blessings. As they come faithful to God, God will bless them, bless their land, bless their crops, you know, the whole thing in the sense of what's going on there. So it's clear that at one point, God is saying, wine is a good thing. Can you think in, in Scripture other uses of wine that you know of that are a good thing? Okay, so in First Timothy chapter... Five, uh, Paul says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Okay, so wine was used 
in a medicinal capacity. Um, by the way, it wasn't unusual to, to cut wine with, with water uh, to make it uh, less intoxicating, but still get, you know, reap some benefits from it as, as a, a medicinal purpose. Um, but we have another one that I thought was interesting, too, in, in Luke, uh, the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And as the Good Samaritan is coming along in Luke chapter 10, it says that he used oil and wine on the wounds of the beaten Jewish man by the roadside to help, to help heal his wounds. Now, what would that be doing to the wounds that were on his... What would the, the wine do? Cleanse it. Yeah. Okay, so the idea was that wine had a medicinal purpose. It was used in, in, in ways to you know, bring health and improvement in health. Uh, there are different groups today uh, that, uh, you know, doctors and, and stuff today that still uh, look at wine and even prescribe wine to some people as a, uh, a small glass of wine in the evening before they go to bed or with their meal, this type of thing. Um, and it, it acts as a relaxant. It acts as, as uh, different aspects of it. It does have some medicinal nutrition uh, ingredients or uh, things about it. Uh, and so it, we still see it done that way today. You get into third world cultures and you still see it used that way. Um, it's used, uh, it was used in the Old Testament in worship. The offer, libations of wine offered to, uh, at the altar... It was used to pour on the altar by the priests. Uh, uh, and so it was an act of worship to take what God had blessed them bountifully with in the sense of the vineyards and take what God had allowed them to make with it and, and make the wine and use it as an offering. Uh, and you find that in Exodus chapter 29, Leviticus chapter 23, were just two that I wrote down quickly. Um. Probably the ultimate picture of, of, of blessing, if you will, that, that was used uh, to show wine as, as uh, something that was part of the culture and, and part of the blessing would be uh, Jesus in chapter 2 of John. And uh, I know you're familiar with it, but just to keep everything going within the framework of context, I'll read it to you. Uh, John chapter 2, on the third day... There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when they ran out, the mother, uh, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, his purpose for that was saying, This isn't the point in time and place for a, a miracle to draw attention to me and stuff. But. His mom's response wasn't taking that negatively. She just turned around to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. I'm not going to get into all the de details of some symbology that goes with this and the idea of, of pictures and stuff here, but I just know that there was these huge jars of water that held water 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up with the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. 
And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, they then pour uh, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The reason why I share all of these positive verses first is I just want to simply make a statement. If there is something inherently evil with wine, you wouldn't see these positive statements. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, the reason why I say that is, is there are groups, uh, Christian groups, other groups as well, but, but Christian groups who look at wine because of all of the negatives that can come from it as thou shalt not. In fact, the first church that Kathleen and I were involved in was one that, that said that. And it was an interesting thing. It wasn't one of the things that was written out uh, in the bylaws or anything like that, but it was something that was, was part of the culture, if you will, and the traditions of that church. And so that can cause some confusion for people. Uh, and so I wrote down here, like anything God might bless, with, bless us with, Wine can be abused. Uh, wine, again, I read the, the contrasting scripture to all of this in chapter 20, verse 1 of Proverbs. Wine is a mocker, a strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Wine is a mocker, meaning you, if you get intoxicated with it, you begin to mock. Uh, and the idea here, I believe, is actually mocking God simply by being less than what God wants you to be because you're intoxicated. And it'll share more about that in a minute. Or it's a strong drink, a brawler. And I, I can't help but think of, 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 of a number of situations I have seen in my lifetime. But, but one of them local here was uh, at the bowling alley when it used to be the bowling alley. It was not unusual to find fights out in the parking lot. People who are, were on bowling league teams are keenly aware of that. They had a bar there. They served alcohol. And uh, heavy drinking occurred, and people would get frustrated at each other at the game and whatever and step outside and fix things, uh, so to speak. And so strong drink is labeled here as a brawler. Again, with the understanding that excessive use of. Or overuse of. And so that the Proverbs 20 is giving us a warning. Over here it says it's a blessing, but be careful how you use it. You can distort, misuse, abuse God's blessings. Chapter 23 of Proverbs has uh, quite a bit to say here for us this morning. Um, In chapter 23, verse 20 and 21, it says, Be not among drunkards. And 
the word for drunkards here, if you, you might have a footnote in, uh, for your Bible to look down at the bottom. Uh, if you do, it might likely read something to this effect. Hebrew, those who drink too much wine. Okay? A drunkard is a person who what? Drinks too much wine for this, the Hebrew word that's used here. So, be not among those who drink too much wine. Or, now listen, it incorporates a few others. Or, among gluttons, eaters of meat. Now, meat here is a general word for food. Not just meat, meat, but general word for food. Gluttonous. What is gluttonous? person who overeats. A drunkard is a person who overdrinks. A gluttonous person is a person who overeats. That's why I said we're going to meddle this morning. Uh, uh, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. In other words, it, it brings sluggishness, uh, it brings laziness, it overuses, it overextends your resources. There's all sorts of, of things that, that these things will cause. But basically what he's saying is drunkards and gluttonous people are being put in the same phrase, in the same context. We'll find out as you get into the New Testament, gluttonous, overeaters, drinkers, gossips, a whole bunch of other people who abuse the, the, the things of God are put into this category. So, here the gluttonous and the drunkards are addressed directly. And then it says in verse 29, and it's a series of questions here. Verse 29, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Now, mixed wine uh, could be mixed in a combination of things. Sometimes things to try to make it stronger. Other times it was to, to soften the palate to it and make it even taste better. In other words, smooth. What happens is when you get into something like that, the tendency is to act, you know, not realize it and drink more because it tastes so good, this type of thing. So, uh, it's, you know, who has wounds? Well, so those who tarry long over wine and who, and, and who, go to try, uh, and who go to try mixed wine. Now, what we have here is, is they list six consequences of intoxication. Who has woe? Well, what is woe? Well, it's despair, gloom. And act, well, that's a song, um, but it is—it is exactly what it is: despair and and uh, and and hopelessness, a feeling of no way out. And so, that is the idea of woe. Uh, and it also says that who has sorrow, and sorrow is generally an inner thing. It has to do with inner pain over loss or distress over circumstances that have brought you into sorrow. It can be, and, and it can be a number of things. A loss of a loved one. Uh, the loss of a loved one. 
bring sorrow. Uh, illness can bring sorrow, you know, as a person has uh, health issues. Distress, how am I going to pay my bills? Uh, all of these types of things are ones who can, types of things that can lead someone to a point where they're looking for a way to escape. And they look at the opportunity, and here, of course, in this time especially, wine was the obvious thing. Wine was readily available. They said, whoa, who, uh, you know, who has strife? Strife is, is uh, a, a generally deals with the idea of, of, of relationship, where relationships are stressed, are broken, uh, where there's argument uh, going on, where there's disagreement going on. People can't become into peace with each other. So uh, there's strife. Maybe I have strife with my employer. Maybe I have strife within my home. Maybe I have strife between myself and one of my children, whatever. And again, I get this despair or, or this sorrow, if you will, and, and I'm distressed and I turned away to some form of escape. Who has complaining? The idea of complaining is a person that has generally a negative disposition, unhappy. Woe is me syndrome. Look at what has happened. I would never have guessed this was the way it was going to end up. Or how I would have never thought this could happen to me. And the end result is, again, this idea of despair and sorrow. It can also include strife because unhappy people have a rough time sometimes getting along with other people because it creates that woe is me feeling and uh, you become the center point of your depression. It becomes yourself. Also, wounds without cause. I thought that was an interesting phrase. I took some time looking at it. And it simply boiled down to, I don't remember how I did that. You wake up and... There is something, you've, you've hurt yourself, injured yourself, you partied the night before and you don't have a clue as to what happened. Now, a lot of people say you only forget because you don't want to remember. Now, I do believe that there's some truth to that. However, how aware are you as to how serious a drug alcohol really is? The amount of alcohol in a beer shot intravenously is enough to kill you. I've seen people chug a beer in a matter of seconds. The thing that keeps them from uh, dying is that it has to go through the digestive process. People that end up getting sick while they are drinking, passing out, throwing up, whatever, are actually becoming what they call an ambulatory blackout. They normally quit drinking. Is The body is shutting down saying, if you drink anymore, you're going to kill me. The body's defense mechanism stepping in. Alcohol is no small thing. It can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. Wounds without cause. I, I know people that have situations and stories of, of, of uh, finding that the, the night before they totaled a car and can't even remember where that happened or where the car is. 
Alcohol kills, consumes oxygen, and it kills the, the brain cells. By the way, what are the only cells that do not repeat or duplicate themselves and renew themselves? Brain cells. And you'd think that we would be smart enough to realize that we shouldn't mess with those. Okay? But I recall going to a service of a person who died from alcohol-related illness at the age of 44. Suddenly, just dropped dead. The pallbearers, I'm embarrassed to say I was one of them. Not embarrassed to say that in the sense of my love for the person who passed away, but for what followed afterwards. The person who passed away was a heavy smoker and a heavy drinker. So after we buried him, we all went to the bar and heavy smoked and drank. Doesn't make any sense, does it? No. What I'm saying is is that we have some cultural issues to deal with as well when we look at alcohol and, and in our culture. But the wounds without cause is the one that, that we, we just left. And then it just says redness of eyes. If anybody's familiar with the day after a night of drinking, the redness of eyes is an automatic. If you look in the mirror, you can barely see. Why? Because all the little capillaries in your eyes are expanded and or some of them might be broken. All of the pressure, by the way, and, and by the way, that tells you how much brain go, how much alcohol goes where? To the brain. It's why it makes you loopy. It's why it makes you, you know, incoherent eventually. Redness of eyes simply means, in a simple word, hangover. And you would think, for all who have experienced a hangover, why? Why would you do it again? But you see, there's something about alcohol and addiction that go hand in hand. Because we have these woes, these sorrows, these strifes, these complaints, these wounds, uh, these, the, all these different things in our life that, that as a result, we turn to drinking to escape or to feel numb or just to get a little lightheaded so you feel a little bit oblivious. I feel better when I've had a couple. Unfortunately, those who are addicted, one is too many and one is not enough. That's the old saying. So the answer is, who has these problems? Well, he answers the, the uh, Proverbs here answers the, the question in verse 30. Those who tarry long over wine. You know, who has all these wounds and, 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 and strife and woe and sorrow and complaining? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. So the warning that comes with this, verse 31. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. If it sparkles in the cup, it is fermented. That's all it means. It goes down smoothly. 
And I wrote here, you know, do not tarry long, by the, by the way. And then it hit me. And I know that this will mean, I'm looking around and, and trying to check the age group in here, and I think the majority of you will grab this one. Uh, and I already used the word grab, and somebody says, oh, I know where this is going. Grab all the gusto you can. Schlitz beer. Okay. And <clears throat> I looked at this and I was thinking, in, when it comes down to advertising, I, have, I can't recall ever seeing an advertisement to sell alcohol showing the day after. Now, maybe I've missed it. I've seen a lot of sitcoms. I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of read in books. Uh, true stories as well as, but I have not seen a commercial that advertises our beer will lead to the day after. And woe is me for you. <laughs> uh, nope. Yeah, commercial shows, like I said, grab all the gusto you can. By the way, that was a, a gusto was a, a, an affirmation for grab all the life you can, all the joy you can in life. Drink a beer. Commercials don't show the red eyes, plus all of the after effects. What it shows is everybody is happy. Everybody is having fun. They're having a great party. They're on a beautiful beach. Uh, you know, and it includes some you know, other innuendos that have to do with sexual connotations and things as well. But I've thought about some of those commercials, and you look, you've, you've got four people on the beach, and they're carrying a cooler full of cores, beer. That's more than several beers for each person. I believe the, I may be wrong, I don't know what the, the legal limit is, but two generally is considered a, a breaking point. Huh? I know there's other complex things, but a general rule of thumb. I was told was if you're drinking more than two, you're pushing the line. Now, again, age, weight, metabolism, a lot of other things have to do with that as to how fast it affects you. Okay, three. There was enough beer for every one of them to have a six-pack at least in that cooler. You know, uh, so the idea is we have a culture that embraces the idea of indulging. And I want to suggest to you that when we talk about this, we talk about a, a form of addiction. And addiction doesn't mean you have to have it every day, although it can develop into that. But we are, we're an addictive culture because we have so much available to us. Addiction, I finally come down to a definition, and, and Brad, you'll remember this one, not the, the Brad Chamberlain. You know, addiction is anything that brings short-term gratification and long-term destruction. And that you do it on a regular basis to have that short-term blast. And so, shopping can be an addiction. Alcohol can be an addiction. Work can be an addiction. There's a lot of things. We're talking about drinking today, but I'm just letting you know that a lot of these different things can be involved in this. 
So we have we advertise that drinking is something that is culturally acceptable. You know, it was for a while there, uh, you know, you couldn't. There were certain things that you couldn't do on television, and then that, then that opened up and you could. Then it went back to the other way where you couldn't again. And now you notice one thing that can't be advertised on television is what? Hard liquor. Wine can be advertised. Beer can be advertised. But hard liquor is a taboo. Okay? So is that culture telling us that beer and wine as much as you want is okay, but hard liquor, stay away from it? Or another thing that goes with the idea of, of the way our culture looks at it. As long as I am able to work, able to provide for my family, and I'm not getting DUIs and all this other kind of stuff, then there's no way I could be addicted. I'm not going to go into any detail, but I will tell you I have never had a DUI. But to my shame, I have driven under the influence. So I was one of those people who looked at it and said, oh, I've got a full-time job. I make good money. I have a house. I have a wife. I have you know, all of this going on. Everything is right. I've got a new car. I've got all these things. Everything is, is hunky-dory on the way to glory. I wasn't a Christian. Uh, and, and I believed that, that I was just fine. Until the day my daughter was born and I totaled the car that night. That was my wake-up call. Anybody who's dealt with alcohol and addiction will tell you if they got sober, it's because they had a wake-up call. When you've had too much, Proverbs even describes that in this section. In the end... It bites you like a serpent and stings like an adder. That really is the next day. Your eyes, though, in the process of all of this, your eyes will see strange things. Your heart utter perverse things. Your heart will tell you untrue things, is what that's basically saying. People will do things. People say people only do things that they wanted to do anyway, whatever. No. The flesh wins out. We have to remember, we have a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. Paul explains this in Romans chapter 7. I want to do this but by, and please God, but I end up doing this. Wretched man that I am, what can I do? Praise God for Jesus Christ who intervenes. Okay? I know that's a paraphrase, but that's the way it basically means. And so that picture is that, you know, uh, we, we, we see that, that, that there's a battle going on. And so what happens is, is that when we slide away from things, even though we love the Lord, and, and I don't care what it is, in what area of your life, we can, and again, we can talk about eating, shopping, drinking, uh, possessions. I, I, we can go down the list of, of hundreds of things that God blesses people with, and then people turn around and abuse. I wrote down here, food, sex, God's word. Can we abuse God's word? Well, then, better get rid of it. No, you see, that's the tendency, though, is to say, well, I got it, you know. No, we have to learn how it fits into our lives. 
So this person in, in, in the Proverbs is speaking of, he says, your eyes will see strange things, your heart will utter perverse things or untrue things. In other words, speaking to your brain, well, why don't you do this? I see in my mind that picture, the cartoon picture of the, 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 the angel on the one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder and, you know, whispering sweet things in your ears over here and the angel over saying, no, you don't want to do that. You don't. And you have that conflict. Well, the conflict is real. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Yeah. Well, the next one is the kicker to that. Like one who lies on the top of a mast. I don't know how many of you have been sailing, but they didn't have the power boats at this point, so sailing was the way they did They didn't have the... The, the huge luxury liners, and I've even been on a luxury liner the only time in my life that I've been on one, and actually there was one point where you could feel the rolling of the sea, even as big as that ship was. And, it, of course, the more space it covers, the less likely you are to feel a, a, a moving sea. But, but we're talking about little boats. I, 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 I built two sailboats, and they, the one of them was only 12 foot long, but it had a 19 foot mast. And it was a it was a racing little racing sailboat, and that thing would cut through the water, but man, it would bounce everywhere, anywhere. And I was I was reading this, I was thinking of Morro Bay on a windy day, and 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 being on this, and the just sitting in the boat like this, and the rocking motion. If you are prone to seasick, I might be before I'm done. You might be there. I don't know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, and and so you know, the being on the mast. If you're down here at the pivot point, it's this. On the mast, it's... What is he trying to tell us? He's talking about what happens when you're intoxicated. You know, you can hardly stand up. You can't walk straight. You're weaving back and forth. Even when you lay down, the room keeps moving. That's what he's talking about. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who sits, uh, lies on the top of a, of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I, was, but I was not hurt. You feel no pain. I feel no pain. I might fall down. I might walk into a door and not feel a bit of pain. I'm numb at this point. They beat me, but I do not feel it. When shall I awake? And this, when shall I wake, isn't necessarily, when will I finally come out of this? That's just a general statement. When shall I wake? Why? What does the next line say? I must have another drink. First thing. This is what we're talking about as addiction. This is the person who tarries around the wine. That's what he's speaking about. There's, two, there's basically two people we're looking at. Those who can handle a drink of wine and those who have the addictive behavior pattern who cannot handle a drink of wine. And you need to know who you are. And so we, you know, this, there is that sense of, of, of desire to say, if wine again is this bad, let's just not have anything to do with it. The word is teetotaler or teetotaler. 
I said, I was involved in a church when I first became a Christian. By the way, I hadn't stopped drinking yet. I drank, I wasn't drinking to excess in my mind, but I was still wrestling with it. How much can a Christian drink? And I had no idea that there were rules in this church that weren't in their bylaws. One was that you don't drink. Another was that you don't smoke. And another is, is that you don't go to dances. The other one is you don't go to movie theaters. There was a whole list of, of don'ts. And it was at, a, at an air show at, at, in Paso Robles. And uh, I had a few empty beer cans in front of me. And I was smoking a cigarette. And one of the elders from the church walked by. And I said, hi, how are you? <laughs> he looked back at me. And he, oh, hi, 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 Bob. <laughs> yeah. And he did give me a peculiar look. And, and the, the next weekend, he sat me down and talked to me. And I figured, well, if that's the way it is, then I've got to quit drinking, I've got to quit smoking, and that type of stuff. I did. Then I moved into another environment, still Christian, still strong faith people, but they didn't have the thou shalt not drink. I went to shoot pool with a friend. He had a beer. Now the friend, you got to remember I was in my early 30s when I was in Bible college. My friend was my, one of my instructors. I was actually a year older then. So I said, oh, I didn't know you can do that. So guess who had a beer? Now, I never got the kind of intoxication that I had done prior to that. But I cannot believe how quickly it owned me again. So I'm going to suggest to you that there are people who are teetotalers. By choice, I don't drink. I don't drink because the Scripture says, Thou shalt not drink. Drinking is evil. I don't drink because I am one of these people that if I even walk by, let alone tarry, I am tempted. Now, the dilemma that that puts forth with is for you who are free, and a drink is not a problem, is to know your friends, hopefully well enough to know, that when your friends are with you that don't drink or can't drink, that you're not tempting them in any way. We have a whole set of scriptures in, in Romans chapter 7 and, and 1 Corinthians that talk about that, of, of stumbling blocks and stuff like that. We want to be very much aware of that. Is it wrong for you to have a drink? No. Is it wrong for, but it's wrong for me to have a drink. So we look at that and, and realize, you know, this is something that, I struggled with, and I'm going to say I don't struggle with it at this point in time in my life, meaning I haven't had a thought about being intoxicated in so long I can't remember. But even in my Christian walk, it created problems and difficulties in times and seasons of frustration and problems. So as we look at this, we have to say, how do I deal with this? 
How do we deal with uh, the addictive behavior patterns that might be in our lives? I, I, I know I'm running tight here, but just bear with me for a minute or so. We read this morning from Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, uh, the Scripture is, is, says, look carefully then, verse 15 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, look carefully then now how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Isn't that what we've been talking about? Wise. By the way, who's a wise person? One who fears the Lord. Okay, keep that in mind. Making the best use of the time, making sure that you, you, you know, you, you're wanting to use the time. What's the best use of the time? It's to you, that God uses you to bring glory to him. And somebody says, well, what about work? Well, you're supposed to work as if you're serving Christ. You're not a man pleaser, but serving God and wanting him to be pleased with your work. So you're going to do the best you possibly can. That type of thing. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. How come the days are evil? God created time. How come the days are evil? Because man has fallen and corrupted everything that he touches and everything that he dwells in. And we have found ways to use time that do not glorify God. That's all there is to it. So beware. There are things out there that want to distract you from glorifying God. It's basically what it says. The days are evil. Beware. You decide how you want to use your time ahead of time. How do I want to use my time? Do not be foolish unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What does the will of the Lord begin with? To fear the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, by the way, is implied by this. So we're talking about being wise. And do not get drunk with wine. The word for drunk here is the same context of drunk that we were talking about over here. You know, too much, overkill. For that is debauchery. It's, it, it, it simply means it's, it's, it will, it's corrupt. Okay, it will corrupt everything. And that's what we've been talking about. Instead of being drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Now, some people have taken this as to the, the being filled with the Spirit is the same thing as being drunk with wine, except now you're filled with the Holy Spirit and people bob and weave and fall and, and all this. I do not believe that's where you can get this from. If you might be able to find that somehow, somewhere, somewhere else, but not from here. The contrast is being filled with the Holy Spirit is simply the idea of who's directing your path. Are you directing your path or is the Holy Spirit directing your path? Knowing the will of God, fear the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Talk about him in the morning, in the day, you know, all the things that went with that out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and so that picture of walking with the Lord, being filled with the Spirit, is the opposite of the way the world walks. So really what we're saying is, 
the real contrast that we're really dealing with isn't necessarily alcohol as much as it is there's a worldly way of thinking and there's a godly way of thinking. And the worldly way of thinking is licentious. It's, it's free. It does whatever it feels like doing. And if drunk is what they want, they do it. Godly is the opposite. Godly looks for the way to glorify the Lord, to fear the Lord in all that we do and say, and all the things that we do, do unto Christ. So many scriptures you can fill in that gap with. Now, the interesting thing was, you recall the list of the persons who tarry too long around the wine? All the woes and the strife and all that kind of stuff. Here's the person who tarries around the Lord. <laughs> Listen to this. Verse, verse 19. Uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, end of verse 18, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything, and to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What a difference. All of this is here so that we can see the difference. Here's, you know, I just read to you and spent a, a morning talking to what happens when you submit to the world's way. But when you submit to God's way and don't abuse the things He's blessed you with, is wine a sin? No. Is the abuse of wine a sin? Yes. But the abuse of wealth is a sin. The abuse of your wife or your husband is a sin. The abuse of all the things that God has given you, no matter what it is, food, uh, you know, whatever blessing He's given you, your way, your children, any kind of abuse of that is sin. And so what we're really dealing with here is, are you seeking the path of the world or are you seeking the path of God? I put here down. Uh, put down here for myself. You know, I said, "Ask God for yourself, Bob." I can't ask for others because that's not my prerogative. I can only tell you that you need to do the same thing. By the way, the ultimate solution here, response to Ephesians: be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Somebody says, "Well." How do I do that? I know that, that some people will look at this and say that I'm pulling something out of context, but let me share with you how I see it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the whole picture here is that you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to see things that are pleasing to God, then on a regular basis, and nothing less than daily, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God and say, God, work in me today. I'm not saying that that erases all the conflict. I'm not saying that that gets you out of all of the, the temptations. And I'm not saying that that will cause you to be absolutely perfect in everything that you do. What I'm saying is that is the rally cry for a starting point. I want to do it God's way today. 
Is there going to be people that bring conflict to that? Absolutely. It might even be a Christian brother who doesn't know that, that I have a drinking problem and as a result has the freedom to have a beer. By the way, he asked me if I wanted a beer, and I said, no, I'm a, I don't drink. And he says, oh, and his concern was I had offended one of those straight-laced rules. And he says, you, you come from, a ba- from that background. <laughs> and I said, no, I come from an alcoholic background. My parents, my grandfather, <laughs> you know, I said, I, I joined the club and I don't drink. That was the last time Jeff had a drink around me. Last time he had a beer around me. He respected that. He, was, he loves me. And he cares about my walk with the Lord. I I just I I just put it through to you. This is what it's all about. Really, I want that place where I want to sing with you. I want to sing psalms with you. I want to spare the joy of Christ with you. And I want to encourage you and you encourage me to do it together. That's what we do when we meet on Sundays. And hopefully what you do when, when, when we meet at our Bible studies and different things, when we open the word or different aspects of things, is to encourage each other to walk close to God. Pray for one another. You guys have the, 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 the thing at home with the, the register with all the names and, and phone numbers and stuff. Hopefully you've taken place in the back of that and added the numbers and places of people. If not, you need to do that. Use that as a prayer list. Some people try to... I, I know some people that will go through that as a prayer list in a day. I know others that do a few every day and go through it as a prayer list in a month. But what I'm suggesting is that's this idea of praying for one another, building up one another, encouraging one another, even when we're not walking with each other. Don't wait until I'm sick. But by all means, when I am, I covet your prayers. I hope I've encouraged you this morning rather than meddled too much. Drinking, you're not going to find a scripture that says thou shalt not. You're going to find over 200 scriptures that deal with the idea of drinking. And by far, the majority of them are warnings. But is alcohol inherently evil? If alcohol were inherently evil, Paul would have said, Tough Timothy, don't drink any alcohol. Don't drink any wine. Jesus would not have turned water into wine at the wedding. And the word used for wine there is the regular word for wine. Not new wine. So, it's something that we all have to deal with. Some of us deal it in one way, some deal in another. We're not to judge each other on it. Some people are are teetotalers because that's the way they think it should be. I'm not to judge that. Others feel free to have a drink. I'm not to judge that either. If you go to excess, I'm really not to judge you even then other than to go to you when I see sin in a brother and say, I notice, you know, and we need to talk. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. The best place that I could think of to do that would be right in the middle of communion. Christ offered himself for us as the sacrifice so that the next verse in Romans chapter, after chapter 7, verse 8, is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Wretched man that I am, how am I going to do this? Oh, only but for Christ. Boom, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, come to God and, 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 and rejoice. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Ask for Him to cleanse you, to build you up and to strengthen you and to help you and encourage you into the next step of your walk with Him because not one of us has arrived. And in the process, ask Him to change the, the desires of your heart into the desires of His heart. Let's share communion together. Ask the worship team to return, please. And then I'd ask uh, the ushers to come and pass the emblems out until we've all been served.